0: Welcome to the Future of Application Security, a podcast for ambitious leaders who want to build a modern and effective AppSec program. Doing application security right is really hard. Now I'm going to help you build a better future of AppSec at your company by curating the lessons from the leaders. I'm your host, Harshal Park, CEO of Tromso. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the future of AppSec. Today, we're going to talk about leadership in cybersecurity and what it takes to be a successful chief security officer. To share this insights on this topic, we have a very special guest who has an incredible perspective on this topic. We have with us Michael Piacenti, the founder of Hitch Partners, and he has been helping the CISO community for several years now. Welcome to the podcast, Michael.
1: Thank you, Rarshal. It's great to be here. Honored to be here.
0: Fantastic. So, Michael, let's jump into this topic. You have helped a large number of CISOs get placed in various exciting companies at a very, very high level. What are some of the characteristics or patterns that you see that
1: makes a CISO successful? Yeah, I love this question. And there's a few things uh, just on the human level. I think the things that we see the most is that the really top producing and effective CISOs are purely empathetic. You know, they fix problems as humans first, and they tend to be very strong people managers. They listen, they take action. And if you look at the last few years, uh, this is never more clear than the last few years. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that are going through a lot of pain. And a strong CISO is there to help the greater community, help their team grow, really be the best versions of themselves that they can. And it's a strong community. It's a community that the word spreads quickly. So when when you act that way in the community, in today's climate, the word gets around and people want to tend to work for you. I think one of the other areas that we see is how well they're managing their internal teams. And I say managing, it's really more collaborating, partnering, guiding, but not telling <laughs> right. them how to do things. Um, their engineering teams, their product teams, their business teams, their sales teams. you know, These are all individuals that are under an enormous pressure to ship to deliver to sell and uh, again if we look back at these past few years there's no shortage of external and internal challenges and distractions and the ciso has always stayed the course in those those kind of level of discussions i think another point that i would make here is that the ciso a successful ciso understands that they have one of the more most unique views of the organization in the form of data people tools and technology i mean outside of the gc the CISO has the most distinct vantage point of an organization as far as looking at the problems that affect that a company. And a successful CISO embraces that position and uses their knowledge to make security priority. And, and, and in many cases, make it a competitive advantage for their company. They're very proactive leaders. And, and by the way, as a side note to that, that really the number one reason why most CISOs leave their posts you know, prematurely is that they don't feel like they've been empowered or appropriately sponsored to impact the change. And so, this is a key point here. If you are interviewing a CISO or if you're interviewing for a CISO position to ensure that there's the right amount of executive sponsorship all the way through, not just right now, but in the long, long term. But back to that question, I mean, I think the other thing that I would say is that a CISO, the strong CISOs that we work with, tend to know how to manage effectively up, down, and across. They're very, very strong, effective cross organizational communicators. And also, despite the tremendous amount of increase in knowledge from people like my mom to to a marketing person on what is cyber and how does it affect the individual, the, this a really strong CISO still knows that it's no one else is going to learn their language, that they must learn the language of business. And I actually feel like CIOs did a really good job getting over this about 5 to 10 years ago. And I think CIOs can teach CISOs how to do that. So, so most CISOs are still trying to figure out what's the de facto level of technology I should be talking around. And we're starting to see that open up more and more board positions, by the way, right, CISOs who are doing a better job of that. That's such a
0: fascinating um, point. This is really, really interesting that CIOs did that very effectively back in the day, connecting technology, speak business, and CISOs need to do that more. Some of the top ones do it very effectively. I guess it becomes a very important skill set to have. And it's the CISO is learning business, but also educating the business on what security actually means in practical terms as well. Right?
1: Exactly. I've said it before on other forums, but I look at the CISO as uh, the chief look around the corner officer. <laughs> it's, it's not just about cyber threats, but it's like, how do we build our architecture and our own product? Or what are we doing on this level of governance that needs? they need to lead those discussions around design and structure and processes? It's not just about combating the bad guys. It's about looking at business press. I mean, the expectation of the CISO now is to step up into a role. And we saw this in the pandemic with the increase of scope and level of communication and influence at the executive level has grown exponentially, which by the way, has grown into the comp level as well, which we'll talk about later. Right. But these are CISOs that really kind of embrace their, what we call the superpower, right? They may be amazing in AppSec or GRC or CorpSec but they recognize where they may have a blind spot or they may need uh, additional help in hiring or maybe be better in enabling sales. And so they, they hire really well in those spots. And then they also embrace their superpower. And so I think the really strong CISOs know how to balance that. It is a balancing act. There's just way too much to think about for a CISO and what their scope is today. So
0: That's fantastic. And I think one of the things that makes me always interested in talking to you is the fact that you have such wide visibility across so many different companies. Like Even if you think about pretty much anybody in cybersecurity, like they either are very aware of their domain, their company, their own business, but you having worked with so many other companies, different types of business models, different types of CISO personalities as well, you have a very unique vantage point in terms of being able to observe these trends. I think it'll be super helpful if you can to share a little bit insight about what HitchPartner does, what you do to help our audience understand how your perspective came together.
1: Thank you for that. I appreciate the comments. I started in, uh, in IT, uh, in the IT space, uh, in the storage space. Uh, the company I first worked for owned the original Raid Patents, which was an amazing place to start your career. And um, you know, storage was, and is today, a major challenge. Um, for everyone and how you do it, how do you do it securely, how do you do it effectively and fast. And so working through that into the IT data center operations world, and then seeing the beginnings of, of cloud, we recognized fairly early that there was two very key streams of security. One was in the corporate security space, protecting things behind the firewall, protecting your applications that run your business, and really protecting your employees. And then there was this other that was coming at just as fast, which was how do you protect your product code for those companies in the software space? And how do you make it compliant? And how do you govern it? And so these two or three sort of tornadoes were about to hit each other in the you know 2013-2014 timeline. And that was when we decided, well, we really need to be helping these companies and more candidates sort of navigate this interesting dynamic, which all these, you know, sort of like the perfect storm. And uh, thankfully we're sort of been in the right place at the right time because right now it's it's just an insane market most people are moving towards some level of appsec uh, or ProdSec. and uh, it's been a fascinating journey to watch you know all these different companies making their moves and how they're how they're doing it how they're changing their cultures and how fast security has risen up into the executive ranks so it's been a fun journey we're very blessed with uh, the relationships we yeah. have that's so cool. Yeah, and I think
0: going back to your point of how fast security has risen up in the executive positioning as well. More and more CSOs have started reporting to CEOs directly. They're getting bigger, say, more strategic position within their own company. So, if one of our audience members, if they're you know an aspiring CSO, let's say they're you know somewhere in the seniority within the CSO organization, typically they would be focused on a particular domain, whether it's AppSec, you know, SecOps, incident response, compliance, GRC, whatever it is. But as a CISO, you have to have such broad visibility and leadership. Do you have any, any suggestions or thoughts on what they can do to gain that exposure that a CISO really needs, which is beyond just one domain, but also being able to communicate, being able to lead, being able to understand the business? Like, How do you, how do you get to that level?
1: That's a really important question. And I, I love that you're asking it. I think the one thing I would wish for anyone to any aspiring CISO to take away from this podcast, at least my words are that you really, uh, in order to get to that level, you really must work on the part of your game that doesn't necessarily come natural to you. So you clearly have a superpower. Let's take yourself. Uh, I had a chance to work with you. You know, you, you have this, you have multiple superpowers, by the way, <laughs> but, uh, but let's just say it as a candidate that superpower is AppSec. And uh, given the topic here, that makes sense. And that's amazing, right? And that's a really hard skill set to be in the superhero category. It takes a long time. It takes a lot of trial and error. Uh, it takes a lot of hurt, <laughs> a lot of long nights that's and right. no sleep. But that doesn't necessarily make you a strong CISO. You really need to work on your narrative around hiring a broader set of skills. You need to emphasize your GRC, for instance. You know, We find that most people with an AppSec background really struggle in interviews and how to accomplish a GRC. It's just not interesting to them. They haven't really focused on it or haven't been exposed to it. And yeah, it's not as fun to figure out, but also very complex things in addition to the AppSec or ProdSec challenge, just as important to concentrate on. So I think you know my advice would be know your superpower, know it well, but understand where you need to go find help. And the other thing is that I think aspiring CISO really needs to have a true understanding of how to partner with both technical and non-technical sides of the business. You know, you may be amazing at working with app development or product development, but what about the sales and marketing teams? Uh, if you cannot explain how you're going to guide and support and collaborate with those teams, you're probably not going to get as far. And it actually starts in the interview phase. The majority of our searches, for instance, include some sort of presentation. And it's usually fairly in-depth. And it's usually something like, hey, Harshal, uh, we'd love to understand how you would put together a two-year plan. Frankly, I'm not always a fan of how these things are conducted, <laughs> to right. be honest. But but these interview styles are likely here to stay. And these executives are trying to peel the way of the onion on how well will Harshal put together a program that is everyone's easy to understand. Everyone can take them on the journey. And uh, how well is he able to dig into these areas? Of course, they want you to dig into every area and be an expert in everything. And You just have to prove that you're not that person. But it's important to take into account the whole business vision. I think governance and risk is also significantly underplayed right now. It's becoming significantly more complicated and nuanced. So, for instance, what I mean there is that knowing where to take your organization with specific governance requirements is critical. The ability to recognize that your organization may need to perform 87.3% of the ISO requirements versus the full 100% could really be the difference between success and completely like burning out your entire team and everyone else around you. It also loses a lot of respect when you say, we have to do it this way. But it's no, it's let's try to push things through that we need. And we're going to go negotiate on the areas. It's, it's, we see this a lot on questionnaires with with clients. They try to appease everyone. and it, And that's not always the whole story. I think the final point that I would say is that really knowing how to plan a program and how to scale a team. I can't tell you how many talented CISOs we work with can kind of completely botch the question in an interview of how they would build out a team, how they build a scalable team to start what the vision. and But it's like looking at your repeatable recipe. And that's going to get you closer to the executive team. That's going to get you closer to the board. But really, knowing how to build a balanced team in the beginning, you might have to have people handling multiple uh, disciplines, right? Right. So anyway, but going back to that original point, which is um, the secret here is is having that organizational view and really being able to be considered as an executive leader, not just a technical leader. That's going to keep the bad guys out of our systems.
0: Right. I mean, I think that's a really good summary of different aspects that become important for a CISO to get through the very rigorous process of CISO interviews as well. I think to your point, to your last point about being able to hire a team, I think, you know, smart people can come up with really good plans and strategies, but if you are not able to hire the right talent to actually execute on those things, those end up living as slide decks, right? So I've also yeah. seen a few CISOs who are really, really good at attracting a lot of talent. And it feels like it's a very difficult art to be able to attract talent. Do you want to share some insights about what makes certain people successful in hiring and retaining and engaging top talent versus a vast majority of
1: others? Yeah, my favorite topic, by the way. Thank you. So I would say, again, back to the fundamentals and maybe my original point, which is that most talent. Leaders that are just considered the top talent focused SISOs out there are extremely thoughtful. They're empathetic leaders. People want to work for them. And you know this because people want to work for you. I can't tell you how many times I've run across people. They're like, I absolutely love working for him. He was fair. He was he was tough on me, but he's fair and he was he was very empowering. And so that's that's the sort of thing you want to hear. But outside of that, I mean, I think those hiring magnets, as you say, there are a couple other points here. They're excellent at tying the specific role that they're hiring for back to the overall security program and vision, which ties back to the product and company roadmap. And that's really important. And by the way, HR teams do not do a good job at this. Um, <laughs> here's the job description. Here's the 40,000 colors and the shapes we need you to be, Harshal, if you don't fit in this box. And what they forget there is, well, one, that's not really a great hiring strategy. But two, you know, you look at most job descriptions and it's, here's a two line blurb about the company and the 40 other or 50 other things that we need to see it should be the opposite it should be here are the things we need to see but here's where the company's going and here's how we would tie this position back to that and i think people miss that that subtlety another fundamental is that during the hiring process these talent magnets are amazing at communicating with the candidate pool whether they're working with someone like us or they're working internally they just know the value of positive candidate experience regardless of the outcome they want to make sure everyone walks away from that process with clarity and a very good impression and so you see things like the really good ones do prep calls with each of their top candidates before each step of the interview before they send them into the panel gauntlet or before that ceo conversation they want them to succeed they ask the candidate who they want to meet versus spewing out a large panel list which I right now is a huge issue Two, these searches are way too long, too many people in the process. And it's simple things like sending thank you notes and quick messages. Hey, we we actually need a little bit more time. We didn't see enough candidates. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to need to buy a little bit more time here. We're super interested. That just took me eight seconds to say it takes most people like 15 seconds to write, Most People don't do it. So all this timing and talking about comp early in the process. So there's no misfires at the end of the process. These are very avoidable, simple things. On the flip side, they also are excellent at communicating with their internal interview teams. They guide expectations, they pay attention to the questions being asked, they make sure that there's a, a diverse panel, not just, you know, individuals that come from the same backgrounds and the same, I mean, having, you know, when you talk about diversity and inclusion, and then you have a panel that's not diverse, that sends us a pretty negative experience. So in our searches, we sort of recognize it right away. The majority of interviewers in a CISO search are not really prepared, calibrated, and frankly, they're probably not strong interviewers. And uh, I think CISOs and aspiring CISOs need to understand that, that the onus might be on you to sort of run the meetings. It's one of the reasons that we do our interviewing the interviewers process. We actually want to learn the EQ and the IQ of the interviewers, and we want to identify any kind of trouble spots or places where we can add value. But this is where we spend an extraordinary amount of time with our clients, having these difficult conversations to bring these teams together for a common goal. And like I said, the sad truth is the majority of the time companies are just not calibrated and there's no placing blame. Like this is a newer function. It's sort of risen very quickly. And so we get it. But unfortunately, most of the complaints we hear from CISOs that are interviewing jobs where they're not ours is that, hey, I just spent eight interviews interviewing for a completely misaligned priority set. And that was a complete waste of my time. I want to charge them for pre-consulting or something, right? Like that.
0: that is so. such a that is such a fundamental problem, though, right? I mean, because it's just basics of hiring. Because uh, I remember years ago I read this book called the Who Method of Hiring, Excellent. and it's it's a really good book. I would say about 50 to 60% of the book is focused on how to structure the interview process, right? It's, about, it's all about really know what you're hiding for, build a scorecard, find the right people who can form an interview panel, set the right expectations with them in terms of what they're supposed to evaluate the candidates for. But it feels like not a lot of people still follow that advice from years ago. And it's, it's, this is not new.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's actually extremely... That book is excellent. It's a stepwise approach on how to do this. And not everything works for everyone. But I would say that the really strong CISO hiring managers out there or, or others that are hiring CISOs, they don't wait for internal recruiting or even external recruiting to source candidates. They, they get right on it. They get the word out in the community. They get their vision out there. And they really work through the process. And it becomes their job. For most organizations, it's an afterthought. And that's what you feel as a candidate. Right. But when you you know, you know start putting the white gloves on and, and really like paying attention to the details, I mean, maniacal scheduling, it's one of the big... We actually have a scheduler for every single one of our searches because we know how the value of time is for everyone. And if we wait for sometimes internal recruiters have 20, 30 jobs that they're working on, and then they work with us on the retained position, uh, it could be a really poor experience if you can't get those... Candidates processed. And how many can you get processed at one time so that the candidates feel special? Right. Those are pretty simple things to talk through. It takes two minutes to walk through it, but most people just don't ask the right questions.
0: Right. You're right. And I think as you're talking about these things that you know really good, effective CISOs do, it also lends itself into like they end up establishing a brand for themselves. Right. So when you when you know certain people are just forward-looking, very progressive CISOs or well respected in the community. And this goes back to the conversation we had years ago, where you had mentioned, like you know, building a personal brand is very important for somebody to rise up in cybersecurity world as a leader. Help our audience understand what you mean by a personal brand and how they can do it.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I do like to talk about this as well. There's not just one way to do it. First of all, I think a lot of people uh, think, you know, oh, it's, I got to go do all these things for my personal brand, or I got to do everything, and that's not necessarily true. Your personal brand should be built basically not by force, but by design and by fun, right? You wanna have fun with it. Uh, you really wanna enjoy it. Otherwise, it's gonna be more of a, you know, something you don't wanna be doing and, and it's gonna fizzle out pretty quickly. But I do think it's very important for the CISO's career path because the CISO in many situations is a very misunderstood but rapidly growing executive that folks don't have, they have one perception of what that person should be. But that's not necessarily the reality of what their day looks like. So just that's the broader sense. And I don't have all the answers, but I do know that the exceptional CISOs that are out there, some of them have little outwardly facing brand and they're just heads down and helping their organizations. But I will say that it isn't really important. So despite the other craziness that's out there in the CISO market, it's still very competitive. And that's my first point. You will be competing against other top CISOs, maybe people that are already in the CISO role if you're aspiring to be a CISO. But every role, despite all of the, the amount of CISO searches that we're seeing, it's still going to be very competitive. And in fact, there are a number of CISOs that have sort of become apathetic to that and they don't really prepare and they sit on cruise control now that they have this CISO title and they find that the next role that they go to find is very, very tough because that brand wasn't there. They didn't kind of work in parallel. And so I actually think that your personal brand, if you are going to focus on it, it needs to be a focus. Sometimes you concentrate on it more. Other times you, you're just building something and, you know, building out a team and it's difficult to concentrate on, but definitely log your wins, remember your battles and always remember to tell your stories maybe another time, but don't forget them. I think the thing about how to do it is the audience, just keeping in mind that your audience that you're normally talking to may not just be the technical colleagues in that organization. They're business leaders mm-hmm. and they wanna see if you can communicate effectively with non-business audiences. And so one way to do that is to create a, a set of publicly available artifacts, You know, blogs, articles, podcasts, interviews. Sometimes you have to start the conversation, but do it with something that you're passionate about. If you're passionate about AppSec, find something that no one's talking about or jump in on a conversation, try to find your voice. It's hard to know where to start, that's the thing. I always like to say, you know, identify your superpower and just focus there first. People will recognize that you have that. They'll become, that's the thought leader. I always look at specific examples. So, like, if you look at someone like like Mike Johnson, you know, a couple of local leaders, Mike Johnson, for instance, was at Lyft. Now he's at Fastly. We had the honor of placing him there. Yeah, he's fair, but he was absolutely relentless on vendor behavior and vendor relationships. And this created a whole brand for Mike. And as a result, it allowed him to. (laughs) hire <laughs> pretty rapidly because he created this brand of people that wanted to work, you know, on his side, he's kind of like a Robin Hood of vendors, right? He he put it out there and he put himself out there. You know, Philip Martin at Coinbase, another local expert, probably one of the best and most prolific AppSec leaders that I know in the business. He leads by example, he still hones his trade in AppSec, even though he's managing a massive team. And so people want to work for these guys and others, but, you know, I can go on there. But the idea is that you have a superpower. And that you really kind of start there. What's the brand you need to be? What's the outwardly brand? And how do you get yourself out of the technical conversation and focus more on the business as well? Those are the pieces of advice.
0: Right. I remember back in the day when we were looking for uh, senior engineering talent, even then we weren't explicitly thinking about brand, but people uh, who had presented about certain topics at conferences are active on Twitter, things like that we would definitely consider them as our first people to talk to if you were looking for filling certain types of positions. So even that is not at a scale of a CISO, but all of those things end up mattering over a period of time or a period number of years, all of that comes together as a story. So, yeah. so I guess what you're yeah. saying is like, be conscious of what story you're projecting within the community.
1: Exactly. And, and my advice is to make it as Deep as you can in your superpower, but don't forget about the other broad pieces, right? That will affect your hiring capacity. It'll affect how people view you as well. And it'll affect even things like, will a board pay attention to you? Are you just focused in this one corner, which is great, but what about your all four career advance? And and by the way, to each his own, not everyone wants to be a branding genius, right? And that's totally fine. Uh, That's what makes this community so unique is that there's so many different personalities out there and, and everyone works hard. Everyone's doing it, for the most part, for the right reasons. And so it's just sort of finding your voice. I'm, not, By the way, I'm always happy to hear someone's story and kind of give them guidance on how they should build out their personal brand. I think it's an extremely important thing for CISOs right now.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and uh, especially in security, when I talk to non-security people, they're just fascinated by how close-knit the community is. All of the, the CISO Slack channels and the different domain-specific Slack groups that we all have, People know each other really well. People know what you're good at, what you're working on, things like that, right?
1: Yeah, I think the difference in the security community is how amazingly close it is. And other communities, they may have Slack channels and Discord and whatnot. But these are people that really know each other. They know each other's families. They know each other's challenges. They know each other's you know, recent pasts. They all join in on where you can help from a you know, an issue in the security side to a personal issue. It's probably the thing that I get most excited about waking up every day is I get to work with people that really care about each other. They're kind of all in this together. I know that sounds a little corny, but it's so true. And we see it all the time. Right. And by the way, the flip side of that is clients need to be aware of that too. Um, <laughs> because once your search is out there and these folks all start talking about it, there is no turning back. And they do, um, right? If you have yeah. a bad candidate experience, in a microsecond, it'll be on a Slack channel out there. If you have a poor response to an attack and just sort of hand wave it, they will be all over it too. This is a pretty legitimate group of professionals that do not hold back on their on their opinions. As they Right.
0: Should. Yeah, I've seen there definitely are dedicated Slack channels for CISO positions where people discuss their interview experiences. Um, so uh-huh. that information is out there for sure. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So the other very interesting thing that Hitch Partners does, I believe every year, is uh, you publish the CISO survey. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what it covers. What are some of the trends and highlights you've seen from that survey?
1: Yeah, thank you. We are so excited about this year's survey because we actually have the largest data pool in our history. We have over 500 CISO participants and data points this year. Again, this is all confidential we are targeting to get it out by the end of March when we're, you know, we're not survey guys, <laughs> but we we try to put together a uh, professional, very transparent view of uh, not just compensation around the US, eventually we'll expand into Europe and Asia. That's the plan for next year, at least. But we also look at hiring trends, reporting structures, diversity, inclusion uh, numbers, CISO protections, things like, you know, getting beyond the DNO policy, making sure that there's advanced severance. There's double triggers, things of that nature. So we, we look at those numbers too. It's not just about what what are CISOs getting paid. But I will say that just from the quick view of this year's data, and again, we'll we'll get it in a more defined and professional view of it here in a few weeks, but the comp among both public and private company CISOs is an up significantly this year. No surprise with what we saw the last couple of years. Also, the reporting to the board is up, specifically those individuals that reported to the board at least quarterly rose substantially this year, which is a great sign. It's a scary sign too, because many CISOs are not ready for that. And so there needs to be a lot of mentorship and things of that nature. The majority of CISOs at public companies either report to the CIO or the senior engineering product leader, so the CTO or head of engineering. And among private companies, not so much of a surprise, but also a really cool trend upward was the majority of private company CISOs report either to the CEO or the senior engineering leader, like a CTO, which is really great to see. It means if you're starting to report more to the CEO, then that that shows the direction the company wants to take cyber and IT as a strategic value in the organization. And then the last thing I'd say is uh, we always pay attention to, we're very, very focused around the the diversity, quality, inclusion, and about 17% of the respondents were in this category but only like 6% were diverse leaders with technical backgrounds and only 1% were diverse leaders with technical backgrounds, specifically in the AppSec or ProdSec space. So the news there is as AppSec and or ProdSec becomes more of a commonality amongst companies, enterprises, and startups and what everything in between. And you say, well, we need a a diverse leader. Realize that the numbers, let's say there's about 4,000 CISOs in our network, uh, give or take, you know, you're looking at an extremely small percentage if you say you want, now you want a diverse leader in that space. So now the question is, do you, do you mentor someone that doesn't have all of the pieces? Do you try to go get one of those individuals that everyone else is trying to get? So it's it's a really important fact. These are true numbers. They're not, you know, there are no marketing numbers here. So so I, I think it's just really important for people to pay attention to that, for companies to pay attention to that. But we're, we're super excited for this report. It is an awesome couple. Like last year, was just such a unique year for the CISO's growth.
0: I know for sure, whenever that report gets published, it gets discussed very widely in a lot of security leadership circles. I am super excited about reading more into the report when it gets published. For our audience, if you're looking into it, if you're interested in looking what a CISA job makes from a compensation perspective, you should go to hitchpartners.com for sure. Michael, thank you so much for being on this podcast. It was a fantastic conversation.
1: Thank you. That was my honor. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for listening to The Future of Application Security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.